Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is Shudder, directed by Ban Zhang Pisathanakul and Park Poom Wangpoom. Some relevant trigger warnings for this movie include an intense scene of traumatic sexual assault, several often graphic depictions of suicide and attempted suicide, intense jump scares, dental trauma, and automobile accidents. And our hosts think this movie is terrifying. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes, relevant links, and transcripts of each episode. After the spooky music, we'll talk about the episode in full. So be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never Agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about an independent Thai film, which feels like the template for 2000s horror films altogether. It's Shudder. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to invade your house and find queer content in all your favorite movies. My co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? This truly is the platonic ideal of horror movies until it's the most upsetting thing we've ever watched. Indeed. And we picked her up at the spooky crossroads of anime and sexy monster media. It's co-host and comics writer Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I am not feeling sorry for this protagonist. Never. Uh, not even a little bit. Fuck yeah. this guy. Fuck him. Even for somebody who's so incredibly aware of how haunted they are, like he's just basically asking to be fucked with. I've been haunted for years. Maybe I'll just go everywhere slowly and creepily and then just go in the darkest, creepiest places possible. I mean, I guess it's a good like conversation topic. I don't know. IMDb says a young photographer and his girlfriend discover mysterious shadows in the photographs after a tragic accident. They soon learn that they cannot escape their past. Just a note, if you were watching along. There are several movies called Shudder, including an American remake of this movie from 2008. You're looking for the 2004 one, uh, which is Thai with subtitles. The only place I could find it was on Voodoo for, for free. It is a 480p. Uh, so if you have a big TV, even the subtitles are blurry. I did not know that distinction. So I guess we should talk about the first 10 minutes of the 2008 movie. Wow, sure was crazy when Joshua Jackson and Trish Walker from Jessica Jones hit that lady, and then the movie ended. <laughs> yeah, that sure was Pacey. Yeah, yeah fucking him Pacey. They had a wedding, they hit a lady, and then, I don't know, I stopped watching. And the curse this time doesn't have to do with the wedding. So oh. There is yeah. a wedding. The wedding is actually before the movie starts, which is an interesting, an interesting way to, start, to jump into a movie. There has just been a wedding. Yeah, you know when you get like an establishing shot of like a ceremony or a party of some kind. This is like the party has cleared out. It is done. It is like the last stragglers. Like it is like they are flicking the lights on and off. Last call has come and gone. Yeah. That's a pretty aesthetic banquet hall though. Like the setting, the colors, and the, all of that stuff was fucking awesome. Yeah. Like, oh, I'd married there if marriage wasn't a complete fucking money pit of a scam. Yeah. Fuck the marriage industry. <laughs> I'm not spending fucking five grand on invitations. Get the fuck out of here, wedding industry. Fair. Yeah. So Talon, one of our four friends of media, is clearly loaded. He has a very nice 
wedding hall that they're set up at. This will be, this is a little difficult because our, so there are, (laughs) these characters are going to be tough to talk about. Yeah. There are four characters, four friends, two of them do not matter. Like in the plot, they do not matter. They die off screen. Yeah. They don't even get on screen deaths. They're just gone. I don't think they have names. I, they do in the credits, but I don't okay. remember any of them from the actual movie. So didn't think it was worth going through all of this, but the, the two characters, the three characters that matter in this scene that we'll see in the rest of the movie are Tan, who is the guy getting married. He's kind of a shit heel even here after he's just gotten married. We'll find out he's much worse than that later. Um, yeah. My first thought was like, Oh, the rare misogynist shithead wife guy. And then it's, no, he's the worst oh, guy. No. Yeah, we'll, we'll find out. Like, Ugh. we find out in this first scene that he just got married and was also apparently out, as they put it in the movie, whoring with his best friend the night before. So there's that. I don't know exactly what the verbiage that they use in Thai is, but the way it's translated in the subtitles is they were out whoring. We also then have Tun, or is it Tun? I'm a little unsure. Tun, who is easily the like better of these four friends, he is more reticent to be an asshole. Um, well, he's the handsomest, so that, yeah. that we know he is the the best and most important one. Yeah, he, said, he really seems like he's being Damn. dragged along to this whole situation. And then his girlfriend Jane, who is clearly the designated driver, because she is not pounding shots with the rest of them. Thank God, I did not. I did write that in my notes when I saw the driving and that she was behind the wheel. I'm like, okay, good. You didn't have the clearly drunk person doing it. Yeah, because in the first scene, I was getting a little irritated. I was like, oh, so like the girl that's going to be the girl in the movie doesn't get to drink with everybody else. And then I was like, oh, no, she's driving. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> that's smart. Yeah. Yeah, Jane is the girlfriend of Tun. She's, she's staying sober and listening to all of her bullshit. Jane is driving Tun home from this. He is still sort of drunk and hitting on her and flirting with her and distracting her while she's driving. And uh, she turns back from flirting with him just in time to uh, see a girl just before she hits her and runs her over. And then it seems like she's in a car chase in Fast and the Furious and crashes into a sign. Uh, that is the longest swerve in car crashes. Yes, time slows down when you're going through something like that, which I think is, you know, a cool decision cinematographically. Oh, oh, in the movie. I thought you meant in real life car crashes. Like, Ooh, your life slows, slows down, down car crash. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty cool of evolution to do that. Give you a little <laughs> more reaction time. Thanks, adrenal gland. Thanks for, you're good for looking out. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what it feels like. And that's why I liked it, you know, that like, I gave the movie that benefit of the doubt, I guess, for that exceptionally long swerve when it was not very far. They curve into like a, I guess, an electric sign on the side of the road, an electronic sign. And they, they turn and they see a body lying on the road where they've just left. And Tun, being the great guy that he is, convinces Jane to take off and leave the girl lying on the road behind. And then the next day just goes to work. Like, it's all fine. Yeah. If, if Tun wasn't already cursed him just abandoning a hit and run like that gets you a curse all on its own curse yeah if you weren't already cursed double cursed at this point i thought it was i thought this movie was going to be and i know what you did last summer oh yeah 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 and that's like the whole setup and that's why i for a long time in this movie i thought that's what it was and it was just about like okay well they're haunted because they did a hit and run and then it becomes so much more than that. And I really appreciate that about the film. Some things they linger on that I don't appreciate, but we'll get there. Yeah. 
this movie excels at creating a really disturbing, creepy atmosphere. This movie is effectively actually scary in a way horror movies rarely achieve. And it just feels like, again, I call it a platonic ideal, and it really does. It feels like what you'd want, like the tone of it and the atmosphere it builds and the scares it brings feels like what you want out of a prototypical horror movie. Totally. And so. you have a lot of a lot of archetypes and you have a lot of the uh, the visual language. You know, we have the photos and, you know, the I love the use of photos. photos yeah. Movie. Well, this especially movie, at the very end. I mean, it's called Shutter. This isn't about a ghost who only lives in like curtains. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, I think um I mean it, it feels very much I of its time in some way. It, it's very it's definitely a post Ringu horror movie. Um, oh, yeah, there's a lot of the same, the same tricks that Ringu does. Well, well, I think being still distinct enough that like it doesn't just feel like you're reliving another remake of that movie. And again, I haven't seen Ringu, so I might be missing some influences and themes from it. But this movie felt very much like the Ringu with some real elements of um, Silent Hill 2. Yeah, well, I think those are also kind of interrelated, right? Like you have the Silent Hill... When did Silent Hill 2 come out? It was after Ringu. Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. One. I believe. Silent Hill 2 was 2001. Ringu okay, was like 98, I think. And Ringu yeah. was 1998. Yeah. You know, that visual vocabulary is definitely a couple steps from each other. It's definitely an intermingled. But what this movie does is that it takes the, uh, the imagery to another symbolic level. Because with Ringu, you have a lot of that imagery of the girl and her weird like haunting styles the hair the walking upside down and backwards and all this kind of stuff which apparently it was very effective because ever since ringu everybody's been all about that girl coming out of the tv yeah i'm fucking creeped out every time we get a ringu woman ghost every yeah. time we get a it's, it's it's super effective like the strain of horror influence i feel like has been honestly goes back legitimately centuries the sense of photography being a gateway to another world a viewpoint which captures that which is there but the eye can't see i mean just modern stuff like that you have the whole fatal frame series uh archive 81 on netflix which spoilers that'll be my recommendation if you like this and it does go back to occulty stuff where like Fucking rich ass 1890s people obsessed with Aleister Crowley and shit would take photographs and be like, ooh, a spot on the photo. That has to be a ghost, you guys. Yeah, spirit photography was pretty easy to do, I should say, back then. Harder to avoid, actually. Like, yeah. They talk about it in this movie, a lot of the traditional spirit photography, a lot of things we see where, you know, we have people in photos that aren't, shouldn't be in the photos are a result of double exposure. Uh, which isn't really an issue with digital photography anymore, but was, you know, much more common when there was an issue, when there was a possibility of taking a photo on the same, you know, frame twice. Yeah. We do also see how digital photography, though, let's, is super easy to manipulate and then yeah. fake ghosts and stuff, which also leads to one of my favorite moments of the movie is when the guy at the Spirit Photo magazine says, like, we're a legit operation. We have our permits, which just makes me go, 
Hold on. Are there illegal, like, ghost motor magazines in Thailand? <laughs> There's probably, like, independent ones that don't have permits, you know. What's the paperwork you have to fill out to be an officially licensed ghost magazine? I I would be... Uh, we're on Twitter, Prague Horror Pod, if you know about the uh, the process to legitimize your ghost magazines. If there uh, are any anywhere, really. Hi, lawyers out there who listen to our podcast and specialize in the legal field behind publishing and or paranormal exposure. But yeah, this movie does like actually talk about photography as opposed to other films, which kind of just use it as a gimmick. I was interested to see that there was like actually explored in depth. And as somebody who has studied photography and, and work with enlargers and stuff, there is some interesting stuff to be found here. And this, this next scene is where we get sort of our first instance of that stuff. So uh, Tom is out taking pictures for this graduation and he is, you know, looking through his camera and thinks he sees a dead girl amongst the people on the stage. And he you know, looks out through the camera. There's nobody there. And so he shakes it off and goes on about his business. Gene, meanwhile, has not been sleeping since the accident and can't believe Tun is fine to just go out and live his life after they've run over a girl. Uh, and then when all of Tun's pictures come I back. They have weird bright spots and light lines in them. And then one of them shows like a, an actual face of the girl in the shadow of one of the other people on the, the stage for the graduation. I do have to say, maybe this is because I was a little tired and out of it watching the beginning of this movie. Maybe it's just because someone is so fucking casual. I legit forgot about the person they ran over like a minute before. And I wasn't sure why Jane was so upset. And then she's like, the person we ran over, I was like, oh my God, fucking right. Yeah, shit. Get your head in the game, man. What the fuck? And it's very awkward because at first, like, Tun is, is just confused. So, well, that's here's the thing. the weird pain in his neck. That's all, that, that's all that's wrong with Tun is his neck hurts. And uh, he did hit his head when they were swerving. Like, they yeah. did hit his head against the, the window, which cracked the window. They do go back to the site. I was a little confused at this point because it turned out it was the next day and they were like, was, there was an accident here last night. What happened? And the guy directing traffic is like, oh no, the, somebody hit the sign. That's all. Sign's not working. Uh, so, you know, they got me out here and they're like, there was nobody hurt in this accident. Are you sure? And the man's like, no, there was nobody hurt. What, what are you talking about? And they're like, all right, I guess. And so they go about their lives. And they start having a series of creepy visions and weird things happening to them. Our girl Jane sees a creepy girl climbing out of the sink in the uh, black room, which was oh, so that was, that was a real creepy bit because they're very specifically showing that it's the sink and there's nowhere that this body could be, but she is still slowly pushing up out of the sink. This movie is very effective at creating creepy, disturbing, unsettling imagery and jump scares and yet dark rooms are just a very scary it's a yeah. very good scary setting dark rooms because it's yeah. all red and then you're like looking at photos and it's kind of hard to see you know he i'm not sure why he keeps going to the print shop if he has his own dark room but i also don't know anything about photography so who the fuck gives a shit if i'm confused you can't process color photos in a dark room because the red light will affect the exposure Gotcha. So in order to process color photos, you need like complete blackness. Um, I'm learning things. But that's the thing that's hilarious to me is I'm like, what kind of fucking photographer doesn't check his negatives? Like he's a photographer, like he's a professional. We see him doing wedding photography. 
we see him doing the photography at the at the graduation. So he gives his negatives over to the guy at the um the the print shop, and he's like, "Oh, your your equipment's fucked up because it's got like look at all these." Artifact. I here. love how indignant this shopkeeper is. Right, is like, oh, yeah, yeah. If they come out good, it's because you're such a great photographer. They come out bad, it's because I fucked up developing them. Uh huh. I see how it is. You mu- check the negative. Check the fucking negatives. You piece of shit. The one of the <laughs> first times in a film that I've seen them actually check the fucking negatives. <laughs> I loved it. I loved how fucking like don't you dare don't you dare put this on me. Well, and the shopkeeper MVP of the movie. Like he's developing negatives at his house, I assume, because he has all the negatives there. And so he has, yes, converted his bathroom to his dark room. Yeah. The toilet is behind a curtain in the dark room and everything else is just going on in what appears to be the sink in the bathroom. That might be the, the scariest thing I'd ever go through, just like pooping in a dark room. That'd be terrifying. I just know I was going to die. I'm like, I'm a, when am I ever finding myself in a dark room? B, if there's a toilet in the dark room, what the fuck have I gotten myself into? I'm definitely not making it out alive though. So his negatives are bad. First of all, there's a reason that you have the red light in the dark room because natural light and bright light interrupts the process. So if he's having his door open constantly while he is doing developing process in the uh, in the bathroom, of course his negatives are going to have fucking artifacts all over them. And he's got a real well sunny lit apartment on the other side yeah. of that door. And people are constantly just coming in and out of it. So we, we see the photos as they come back and they've got like a bunch of shiny spots, blurs over people's faces. You know, we see the one picture of the girl in there. People would pay good money for that kind of filter nowadays. Yeah. Or the so, face filter. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gene sees the girl come out of be like Dick Grayson in Spiral. Shoo, 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 shoo. That's a very obscure comic joke. There's a Spiral. Is he was in Uzumaki? No, that was from uh, the spy comic Grayson, which is really cool and fun. I believe you. And he has face swirling technology. Yeah, so uh, Tell also has a dream. People keep having these weird visions and then they wake up. It's not clear that anybody ever goes to sleep, but they keep waking up after having horrible things happen. Uh, he it's has a dream where he goes very... to like, pick up Jane at school and she's the only one in this spooky, mostly empty classroom. And then like he goes to, he grabs her by the shoulder and she turns around and spits out blood and teeth. And it's pretty disturbing. And he jumps and he wakes yeah. up. These moments are great. But it does get a little frustrating at that point in the movie when the intense thing that seems like it's going to kick the movie into the next gear keeps being a dream. Yeah, and nobody's talking about it to each other. Like, Jane is upset and Ton is upset. And they're both upset. And they're not talking to each other about, like, being obviously haunted. And so... Well, Ton is already basically the horror movie boyfriend shut her down. Like, Yeah. We hit a person and now creepy shit is happening to us. He's like, oh, don't make this a big thing. Yeah. And then, you know, he, he he's just having neck problems, which are clearly unrelated. Um, and when he goes I'd to get those checked him, out, there's nothing wrong with his necks. I'd call him a chip, but that doesn't even begin to describe just how awful Tone is. He's, a, he's not a chip. He's like the entire piece. He's the whole damn cookie. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. not a good cookie. Yeah, it's a big turd cookie right now. It's so shit big old shit cookie and he has a spooky puppet in his apartment so come on dude like you're just asking to be haunted <laughs> you're a spooky I, photographer 
you are in denial constantly. You've got spooky puppets everywhere. God, I had in my notes during the bathroom scene where it's like, oh, crazy doorknob. What you got, crazy doorknob? This is a little weird, funny decision. And then you get to the end of the movie. It's like, oh, no, this was explained. And now it's very disturbing and terrifying. Yeah. I mean, this is an example of why you should communicate. But yeah, like he's he's shut Jane down and she's like looking at the photos and she's like, this is obviously like something's going on. And so she looks up the uh, the spirit photographers and she founds the magazine and they go to the magazine office. I like the yeah. scare we got of the photo and the head turning to face him. Oh, oh that like, was that very was good. good. You know, that's another thing that is interesting because a lot of the quote unquote spirit photography that you see is just an example of pareidolia, which is that where you recognize faces no matter what, because that's how our brains are wired. Yeah, a lot of it's like, look, there's Jesus in my Doritos. <laughs> and and they also talk about, like, when he talks to the, the shop owner, he talks about double exposures, and he shows, the, uh, the shop owner shows his double exposures that, you know, show the ghostly image of somebody. Yeah, and when they go to the tabloid, they see a guy manufacturing one digitally, and then they're like, oh, this is all bullshit. And they pass him up to the, the editor of this paper, and he's like, oh, no, it's really awesome. easy to make. It's real easy to do this stuff. I mean, the people love it. So we run them more than we actually get photos like this. And they're like, oh, wait, they're not all bullshit. And he pulls out his special binder of real, real ghost photos and starts showing them off to them. And, uh, he says, you know, it's uh, a lot he's of so help proud of that collection. <laughs> they're related so to somebody who's in the picture. There's something going on where, you know, they, they haven't been able to leave a loved one behind they're attached to them somehow so they're you know stuck here dealing attached. with attached remember that yeah remember every or clinging to them yeah and then we remember have, this very carefully selected wordage yeah because we're not doing spoilers i guess yet one of the things that the guy that the uh the editor-in-chief explains is that oh well polaroids one of the most you can't fake a polaroid reliable photographic development methods i think he's saying Get like the binder and out it comes i think he's saying yeah you can't have somebody somebody digitally altered a polaroid you can't yeah. you know say that oh you know the, the guy at the shop is fucking with me you know it has to be something that you know shows up almost immediately for you and you can see which is a great idea which i wish they'd done more within this show the two times or in this movie the two times they use it it's done exceedingly well yeah so, you know, maybe it's better that they don't do it more, but the two scenes in here with it are great. Oh, yeah. Love the Polaroid. So Jane then discovers that all of these photos where there's like light bleeding over people's faces, all the light seems to be coming from one place. There's like one room in the school behind them, which the light is concentrated on and then shining out of and fucking well, up these no, pictures. No, we can't forget the very important metaphor we have here of mantis sex. There's some full-on fucking mantis. We get a lot of mantis imagery in this movie. Yeah, there's a lot of after-dark mantis porn, you know. This movie wants you thinking about mantises and how they fuck. Even though they kill while fucking. (laughs) It translates it as grasshoppers, and I'm like, those aren't grasshoppers. At first, I was like, okay, movie, that's um, interesting. And then they're driving by and just cool. It's like this fucking close up on a mantis. And I'm like, ah, okay, you're, you're doing a thing. This, this is imagery now. 
Yeah, of the mantis fucking on the screen while he's uh, like working on his photos and getting upset. I think that was very much like, yes, this is a thing. Remember the mantis. Remember the mantis. MD. (laughs) Yeah, so one of the best scenes in this movie is the next one where Jane decides that she's going to go investigate this classroom that all this light is focusing on. So she goes up to the classroom, taking her Polaroid camera with her. And she decides she's going to take pictures around there and, and find the ghost that's clearly in there somewhere. Before this happened, that was the, the hospital scene, which is important because they take the x-rays. Nothing's wrong with them. His neck has been hurting. They also, he weighs a lot. He, he weighs, weighs way more than he should. Something, Yeah, he weighs about twice as much as he should. Oh, and the no. nurse, the, he keeps hearing the nurse calling him a lying bastard, Yeah, which hearing- we're not sure is actually happening yeah because it's definitely not the nurse's voice either it's a different voice it seems to be coming from her yeah you're you're calling the lying bastard okay so jane is in this class this biology lab full of weird specimens and stuff and is you know taking pictures of the polaroid and laying them down on the ground trying to you know piece together where this ghost is and finds the image of the ghost up against the wall here and at that point like some paranormal activity stuff starts happening and things start shaking and all the, you know, vials and stuff are moving around. And then a, like a, there's, you know, ghost shouting and rushing at her. And then a portrait falls off the wall of a student that was there. Whose, whose name is nature. Not true. Yeah. Not true. Hey, and she's a Jeremy, girl who's receiving Emily, a I have a question. Word. What class is taught in this room? This is a this is a uh, photography room. Is this like a bio- biology sample room? This is the biology sample room because they mentioned earlier that a bunch of people are science majors. When they're taking photographs of them, they're taking them in front of the science building. And so they, they mentioned that they're science majors. But I'm pretty sure this is a storage room for specimens because there is no place for people to sit here. Uh, uh, it seems like... I thought, but I was also seemed to be the photo studio room, and I was just, just I'm like, is that what everyone's? I thought they were all photo majors. Like, this is it. You all have to take the photo, the jar animal photos. You this have to have everyone's a, final project. A photo studio in every classroom, so you can. Photography teacher Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Like, <laughs> well, I have to take I, pictures of the dead animals. And, and I went to U Penn. We well, we all went to the fucking like Nutter Museum of like medical abnormalities. I don't know what's fucking normal. Good. That's a good point. I mean, this room is really cool, aesthetic as fuck. And this ghost, you know, she's a science major because she doesn't break any of the specimen jars. No, it, she brings very little in this. The only thing she really breaks is this photograph of Nachi, who is Jean goes to investigate this girl and finds tons, what appears to be tons of yearbook, I think, to, to look up pictures of her well it seems that she's chosen the right place because Tun has pictures of her and he is with her in photos she has clearly went to school with him meanwhile Tun has got a visit from his friend ton who you know we saw get married at the beginning who is frantic about finding those photos wants to know where he's hidden them and so he's digging through all his to- photography is absolutely out of his mind freaks out uh Ton is trying to like calm him down and you know steps out of the room for a second. When he comes back, Ton is gone. And he, he goes to track down Ton. He goes back to Ton's apartment just in time to see uh Ton just step onto the edge of his balcony and take a leap right off the building. Onto um, somebody's car with someone still in the car, which is yeah. like, somebody who's just appears to be just pulling into the space as, you know, 
The seventh yeah. day has been absolutely ruined. Oh my god! Uh, a few people say I've been ruined. <laughs> I know, but if I'm being honest, the person I have the most sympathy for is that car owner. Oh yeah, Ton. 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 I have no sympathy for. I I also have no sympathy for Ton. The lo- the more you try, the hornier he gets. No sympathy. A little sympathy for the wife, but also relief for her because now she doesn't have to be married to Ton. So that huh. feels like a win for her. The one person who's just taken a total L and is completely innocent is that car owner. Yeah. We don't know if maybe they have another curse situation going on. I mean, that's, that's true. As we discussed with. I like to believe that ago. these movies all take place in the same universe. And this is just a world where like one out of every eight people is like dealing with a curse at any well, given time. You saw the number of spiritual Polaroids that were on that wall. Like, come on. That's like half the population. It just have a fucking, I mean, like, if you think about it, don't actually, because I don't think it's actually half the population, but there was a shit ton of spirit photographs. Certainly many of them were. were Lots um, of people being cursed and haunted and everything. So Jane finds a spider. The Ghostbusters. This is why you don't see these these kinds of fucking curses in New York, because we busted them. We busted the ghosts. The ghosties. I mean, we still don't. I mean, honestly, we still don't know what's going on at this point. It is not until like this next scene where Tun is is sitting there crying about his friend, like at the scene of his suicide. Jane shows up, and then Tun's wife shows up, and is like, "Oh, this is all the fault of you and your shitty little group of friends. Everybody's dying. That's why." And he's like, "What do you mean everybody's dying?" And she's like, "Yeah, your other two friends are dead. They committed suicide in the last couple of days. <laughs> did you not know about this? He and, did not know about this. Yeah, I'm stupid. Did be not on it." Apparently, they were not close enough that he was on the text chain. There has been a whole other ghost movie going on during this movie that we do not know about. Two people have already committed suicide and died because of a ghost, and we didn't see any of that. This movie is very successful at being creepy and psychologically disturbing and putting you at extreme unease without needing to rely heavily on gore. Yeah, It does employ jump scares more than other psychological horrors might, but I do think what this, mo- this movie should be commended for, the scares it is able to achieve through atmosphere, cinematography, setting, lighting, and just the creativity of the scenario. And I, I think this twist is done brilliantly because we get all the pieces of it sort of at the same time without knowing that we're getting pieces of it at the same time. Because yeah. Jane is investigating this, you know, ghost at the school and then this dead girl, uh, while this stuff between Ton and Ton is going on and, uh, oh shit. And, uh, you know, when she shows up to, uh, to Ton's apartment, like she's ready to figure out what's going on with this girl. And, uh, it turns out that story is already halfway done. I <laughs> think, you know, two. Two of the guys have already died. This is the third guy. He's the only one left. At which point she is like, hey, who the fuck is this and what's going on? And they have to like stop in the car to have this conversation about who Natri is and, and what it is that's going like what happened to her. And Tun gives this story that like, oh, she was this weird girl that they went to school with and his shitty friends used to make fun of her. But he thought she was kind of cute and started dating her. But because he had these shitty friends that were making fun of her, decided that they needed to keep it on DL and they weren't going to talk about it. He was going to, you know, 
not tell anybody to the point that like she gets on an elevator with the group of them at one point and the other three are harassing her and he doesn't say anything. Like, yeah. He just sits in the corner and like laughs along with them. It is such a piece of shit. And this is his version of events that is supposed to make him look good. His like innocent explanation is essentially him going, all I said was, will no one rid me of this turbulent college girlfriend? Yeah. Yeah. After, after he is terrible to her, she like confronts him and he's like, well, I guess we're just not going to be, I guess we're just not going to date anymore. Cause that's the alternative to like actually fessing up to being a shithead, you know, and changing my ways. So I'm going to dump you and to which her response is, and this is never the right response just to put it out there. Then I'm going to kill myself. And he does yeah, that's not, that's not an acceptable response to a breakup ever. And yeah. it is equally not cool to treat that, that response, no matter where it's coming from. Cause I mean, that kind of response is evidence of some, a mental condition that should be treated. Yes. hundred percent. But when Tun is like talking about this to Jane, he's like, oh yeah, we thought it was funny. Just like, and no. that was just something. What? No, not what? Yeah. Okay. Tun is a terrible person who deserves the fate worse than death that befalls him. Yeah. yeah and at this point, you think, well, I guess he was the good one of the group, but he's still kind of shitty. Of course, you know, bad things are happening to him. No. And it no. will, it will get worse. So it will get worse. Ton, I don't care if you were just following orders. It's still just well, as bad. So he says that like, after she threatened to commit suicide, if he left her, he then told his friends about it. And Ton said he would take care of it. And then Ton doesn't know what happened after that. Yeah. And Ton did not bother to investigate, but he never saw Natri again. That's how he told Jane at this point. That's, yeah. That's the version of events. That's supposed to make him look good. Oh, my sh total misogynist shithead best friend said he'd take care of it. And then she just dropped out of school and disappeared. I never asked any questions. I'm like, that's what you're going with? That's your defense? Yeah. Okay. Which, do you want to talk okay. about the bathroom scare? Yes. This is actually a false scare where Tun is in and is in the bathroom. Having himself a good old smoke and a poo. Good old cigarette in a bathroom. We've all been there, I'm sure. And no, he... but... Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I haven't been there. But I haven't been anywhere... I haven't smoked anywhere where you have an ashtray built into the toilet paper dispenser. Notably, at this point, he is... So not, well, he never smoked in a bowling alley, is what you're telling me? No. At this okay. point, he is well aware of the fact that he is being haunted by something that has killed three of his friends. And decides to go to a public restroom alone and have a have a poo and a smoke, quiet. Just go to restroom. a secluded public restroom alone, a setting where nothing bad has ever happened in a horror movie. And then he looks into the mirror and he's like, "Candyman, <laughs> Candyman." So he sees there's no toilet paper where he goes to wipe. Which, a rookie mistake. Right. Always check the toilet paper supply before you sit down. I mean, you're haunted. I get it. You're distracted. However, yeah. So he asked for a roll of toilet paper from the next stall. A fly as hell woman gives him a paper, gives him a TP roll. 
But so, uh, I think it reaches under uh, in this men's restroom with very well. Yeah. yeah. So he thinks it's the ghost. So he rushes out of there. He's pulled his pants up. He has not wiped. Does he spend the rest of this fucking scene freaking out with just like butt full, like an unwiped butt? Probably. So, I mean, he starts to do it. Does our protagonist just have a big old shitty butt in this scene? Shit cookie. That's what I'm saying. So if you delete this entire thing, I'll understand. I will be upset if you do. <laughs> like, I, very important. I know we're supposed to like talk about progressive politics, but real question. Is our main character just have a big old pants full of dookie during this whole scene of a movie? Okay, first of all, uh, Tun, would the ghost have nails on fleek? Would Natra have nails on fleek? Great nails. Nails on nails. Traditionally, on traditionally, uh, long black probably ghosts have very gross hands, you know? Yeah. These her are hands, very specific nails. Her hands are immaculate. So yeah. He's fantastic. He kicks in this door and this woman covers her privates and then says, well, at least wait till I'm done. And then he runs off and disappears. And but she, her, not cursed. No, yeah. this is on yeah. her. She, yeah, she's already fucking free. She I, is out there living her best fucking life. Uh, she's just trying to use the goddamn bathroom. This yeah. guy kicked in the door. And, she uh, was doing a solid, providing a toilet paper to a man who did not use it. Yeah. And I mean, he can't go back into the to the bathroom after that. You know, like, that's so fucking embarrassing for him to, like, bust in on somebody taking a shit. And then they, and then, like, she she took so much control of that situation because she's like, can we wait until I'm done shitting? And, you know, so she's like... Hi, uh, and then listener out there who listens to our podcast while eating dinner. Sorry, Andy. but the this, yeah, this yeah. is a bad time for Tun. Yeah, well, it's the movie also very much succeeds like with where I like the movie with its overreliance on dreams is that it does lean into the sleep deprivation element, and the that is always your inevitable gateway into real psychological horror and what is real what's happening what is curse and again i do like that for the most part this is a villain who kind of operates through fear and influence and not just direct physical violence yeah she like there's a point where i feel like the the ghost is just indulging in fucking with ton so oh. hard a hundred percent. Yeah. And he is really like, like I, like Jeremy said, like, he's like, okay, I've, I've been haunted. I'm twin. I'm a shit bag. And I'm, I've been haunted. My girlfriend knows that we're haunted. I'm trying to fess up, but we have to get, I'm just going to do everything that's possible to make it as easy for me to be haunted and fucked with. And that's another thing. Is There's one play in the movie where it says like, if she wants to kill me, then just fucking kill me. Yeah, like, well, I mean, you should have stuck with that pledge. You would yeah, that pledge immediately. If you were serious about, about that, you would leave Jane. When, for when start you usually said the like bathroom scare, what I thought was the other dark room scare we have, which is a very under, like it's a very undersold scare where he is developing stuff in the dark room. And a woman walks up next to him and starts looking at pictures. And he goes, oh, hey, Jane. And the phone rings and he goes, I'll be right back. I'm going to get the phone. And he walks out and answers the phone and it's Jane on the phone. And he looks back and there's nobody in the dark room. 
Yeah. I love that. I love that kind of scare. I like that kind of like under like thing, like undersold thing. Like, oh, that's great. I love that kind of scare so much. Yeah. And so that's one of the things where I thought that his interaction with Ton may have been also imagined. So because in the movie so far, like at that point, the movie is just specifically about they hit a girl. Jane and Tun are trying to figure that out. They're spooky photos. You know, who was the girl that they hit? You know, they don't know if she's alive or dead. And then T-O-N-N Tun shows up randomly after the scene where Jane also has randomly like been there and then disappeared. So like it was really kind of out of left field. So I'm like, okay, so there's more to this or something's going on with Tun. And, you know, at one point I thought like, Okay, so Tun got um, his head like bashed by the accident. So maybe he's having some sort of hallucinatory issue because Tan comes in and he is has creepily opened the door and then just appeared in the apartment and is ranting and raving like and it's very dark and spooky. And then Tun turns to call somebody and then Tan is gone. And so, you know, at that point, I didn't know that that was real until you know, we find out that Tan is, is jumped out the window onto the car. Bringing us back up to now. Yeah, speaking of cars, the next scene we get of her fucking with him is they're like driving on the road and he sees her in the back, way back behind the car. So he decides to speed up and drive away. At which point she starts floating alongside to the car. <laughs> that's, good shit. That's, that, that's the one thing that made me like, giggle more than like i was scared was yeah, like just like we i'm he's a looking over a ghost looking over at jane and she's like crawling sideways looking at him through the window <laughs> yeah. it, reminds me, it reminds me of so that funny key and peel sketch where they're all like college bros and then they're like being haunted by the one ghost yeah. <laughs> that's to like he decided the best way to deal with this ghost is to drive 140 kilometers per hour um, he's gonna outspeed this ghost which is oh, some real Dom Toretto energy. Yeah. Yeah. At, at which point, like, I'm going to outrace the ghost. He looks over a mile at a time. He looks over to see if the ghost is still on Jane's window. She's not. He turns back forward and she's climbing across the front of the car, looking at him. I'm not going to lie. That one got me. That one. I, I jumped at that one. God. Yeah. And he, he hits the brakes and has another very long stop, but does not, does not full on crash or run anybody over this time. If Jane, this is the break like, in which they decide we actually need to figure out what to do about this ghost. Yeah. And I think that they were there at the crossroads, like staking it out to find the ghost. And then they find the ghost and he's like, oh, fuck the ghost. I'm out. And Jane's like, what? Okay. And we, tell Jane any of what's going on. She doesn't see the ghost. No. Um, She's just like, oh, you're driving crazy. This is great. I feel safe. Just kidding. She yeah, finally. Jane. Dana likes, we should go figure out what's up with Natri and why all of this weird shit is going on. And so they, they drive again. This is, there's a lot of similarities between this and uh, our other curse movie from a few weeks ago. They go out to the country to find this, this girl's house. They find her mom, who is immediately off-putting. She is like, oh, you're Natri's friends? Come in. Come hang out with me. Come see Natri. We don't actually know if Natri's dead at this point, but she has been haunting people, which seems like a dead giveaway. And so like, ah, I see what you did there. She dead. brings them in and sits them down. And she's like, oh, I'm going to get you some tea. And yes, uh, so I'm making like, Natri's favorite dinner tonight. She's just resting. 
Yeah, she's like, I'm going to wake it. her up. He's resting upstairs. Let me go get some tea. And they're like, well, let's go fucking upstairs and see what Nadri is doing. I don't know what's going on with all the bottles up here, but there are bottles on top of bottles on top of bottles in there. And they well, we find out. Yeah, they they go in to investigate uh, what's up with Natri. And we she, do. I don't know what the bottles are for. The bottles are, Jeremy, continue. Well, she is straight up mummified in her bed. Uh, They're preservative. Very dead. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah she is they do dead it. in her bed. Super like, dead. Oh, this is bad. And the mom's like, what are you doing up here? You very rude people. And they're like, see, the thing is your daughter's been haunting us. She's been showing up everywhere. She's clearly not resting in peace. So maybe we should get her cremated because we're definitely her friends. And that's definitely all. But she's been showing up around campus. So we just wanted to take it upon ourselves to investigate this. this I'm always fascinated by different burial rituals and how sometimes there come some cultures burial rituals are just totally contradictory of others like coming like i come from a religion that's very no you must never be cremated yeah to like there's a whole other perspective behind like no you have to be cremated i mean rights is right buddhism here is shown throughout the movie but I think specifically in Thailand, probably burial is a little rougher because it is so wet. You know, you end up with a lot of, you end up with bodies and rivers and stuff like that, which is, is no, no bueno. Again, that's a very good reason for why certain cultures develop certain customs. Yeah. yeah. Anthropology is an interesting field of study, I guess, is my message. Oh, totally. No, and here's the thing, though. I don't know how normal it is for somebody to keep the like mummified body of their daughter in their house. And that's a little not condoned in any culture. Yeah, especially. okay. so they go up there and they find this mummified body. And in most movies, you'd find this. This would be a scare. They would run the fuck out of the house. The next scene is them talking to the mom and. This just seems so out of left field to me. And I, I appreciate it. There's, there's a couple ways I'm looking at it. One, I'm like, you guys are talking to this woman. You're continuing to interview this woman who has the mummified like corpse of her daughter in her bed upstairs. Like, Yes, this is clearly still a rational actor we can talk to. I mean, yeah. she's clearly hurting, right? Like, she's very clearly more yeah. than... Oh, like, totally. reaction to hearing that her daughter is a ghost who is haunting people and driving them to suicide is her is that she is legitimately heartbroken that her daughter's spirit isn't visiting her yeah which is also like really fucked up that immediately Tony and jane are like oh yeah so this you your mummified daughter you should cremate your daughter okay like yeah i can understand going into somebody's house and then being like oh you still have your okay and then not just fucking cheesing it and being like a, a decent person and being like, hey, are you okay? Like, we need to talk about this. You know, let's talk about. None isn't capable of being a decent person. Yes. But Jane is like, hey, you know, you should cremate your daughter. Like, she should have funeral rights because, like, that's important. Yeah. Jane's and- awesome. Jane yeah. fucking rules. And like the mom is like sitting there and, and with her water. But how fucked up is it? It's like, also, your daughter's spirit is restless and is haunting us. So this is about us and our problems right now. He definitely doesn't say it's us. She definitely says, 
she's been appearing around campus as if she's just bothering random people around her university. Sure. Okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. But I'm just like, I just really want to talk about this specific transaction and how unique it is in a horror movie and be like this whole situation with ghosts where like, okay, we're sure that there's ghosts. Jane is sure that there's ghosts because she is essentially burdening this woman with the, you know, the absolute datum that yes, this, her daughter is a ghost. She is a restless spirit. She has been haunting this campus. And now instead of like making this, Guess whose loved one doesn't know any peace? Yours! Yeah, like, you know, it, there's so much to unpack there that's so nuts to me. But, like, you know, they talk about the mother. Hey, your loved one still exists, and they're being an asshole, so tell them to stop it. Yeah, when she can't let go so much as that she can't even get the body cremated, that she's spending, like, tons and tons of money on preservatives, that she has a hallway full of, like... This is an art installation of bottles that fill the entire hallway of her house to keep this body intact. And it's already like horrifying, you know, like it's already like shriveled and dead. And so we and the mother, like, again, the mother's reaction is like, she could have haunted anybody. Why couldn't she haunt me? You know, I've been trying to con like to, to communicate with her all this time by keeping her body here. Yeah, I guess. Jin's business. Yeah, yeah. So, but, and, you know, obviously she doesn't know about she that. She never calls. Yeah. Oh, I guess you're a ghost. You, you can't possess anybody. You, I put out the Ouija board. Nothing. I've got this doll. They go to Natri's funeral. My neighbor, uh-huh. her son died. He possesses a different person every week and visits her. Yeah. Last time you possessed somebody. Yeah. It's so they, they go to the mom theater. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> uh, so they go to Natri's funeral, and um, <laughs> Natri grabs him by the shoulder at the funeral, and he freaks out and runs out of the funeral. And Jane's like, Just chill out, it's gonna be done tomorrow. Like, we're, she's gonna be burned tomorrow, everything will be fine. And the dad, her father's there, and her father is explaining the situation with her mom and stuff like that. And it is not yeah. like it's not treated like it's a horrible thing that the mom is not. A, people aren't like shocked. Like the mom is doing that. They are aware that she was doing it. This was common knowledge. Yeah. And it's funny now that that came back and was depressed for a while and couldn't, wasn't herself. And then eventually just took a leap off of a building, like the biggest building in town. And then I guess mom retrieved the body and put it back in the bed, which none of that is, is okay. But yeah, this, this jump. Where did she get all these preserves? Who is selling her these preservatives? Who is the funeral director? That's just like, fucking money's money. Fucking carpet bagger. You need to preserve a dead kid. All right. I got that. I got stuff for you. Yeah. Also during this funeral, I think before this funeral, he gets tongue gets a real weird look from a kid from, I guess a. A kid wearing a kid who's a punk? monk robes. I, I guess sure this might is. be just this is culture gap. If monk children is a thing, then they are a thing. But I definitely had to pause the movie and be like, that's a monk child. What the fuck do you think Aang is? Aang, that's also fiction. Character. Yes. Yeah, Aang, Aang is a fictional <laughs> kid. Aang is a fictional <laughs> character created by two white dudes. So. And there we go. Well, I, I, don't, I don't want to take that as any kind of authority. I know. <laughs> It's just like Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> no. 
Please no. don't take that That's quote not. out of context. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, there's a lot of things we don't want to take Dash out of context. As for sarcasm. But no, the, the, there's a there's a child monk or a child decked out in monk robes. Might be an acolyte. Might be a monk family. Don't know. Don't know how that works. Dude, I, prog horror pod. I am not knowledgeable enough to know. We are here to be educated. We like to learn. Yes. We typed our kids' mugs into Google. We couldn't figure it out. Um, yeah, our kids' mugs. Hey, sorry, it's Alicia breaking in just to say that um, actually that's a totally Googleable bit of information. In fact, tens of thousands of children in India, Bhutan, Nepal, Sri Lanka, and other Asian countries are living as child Buddhist monks. And in Thailand, Laos, and Cambodia, according to Deborah Parks, it is accepted that most teen monks will disrobe or leave the monkhood after completing their education. All right, that's all for me. Back to the show. I take monks, comma, child, and that just got me the fucking TV show. <laughs> like the Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> Tony Shalhoub's kid. Yeah. Tony Shalhoub was a child once. I don't believe that. Yeah, I I, I Googled Child Monk and it was just baby pictures of Tony Shalhoub. Yeah, he came out of the womb with like his for his brows furrowed. <laughs> um, okay, so back to the plot. They spend the night at the hotel waiting for uh, her to be cremated the next day. And they're, they fall asleep next to each other. I You would think at this point that somebody would, I don't know, be holding on to the other person while they were sleeping. Some sort of preventative measure here. Yeah, kind of like the scene in Ghostbusters, where the one ghost goes to blow Dan Aykroyd, but way worse. Yeah, he, uh, Tom wakes up to the, the blankets being pulled off of him, and he looks down, and uh, Natria is just down at the end of the bed, pulling them down. Ain't that always like the way a girlfriend just hogging all the blankets? I just like this. She took the blanket hellish. Yeah, he, he freaks out and like what a horrible night for a cook sack. She's not there anymore. He you know, looks around the room. She's not there. He turns back to see, you know, what Jane is doing. And she's there. Ah, she's, she's, there's a big jump. She's right next to him where Jane should be uh, staring at him in the face. And he does not attempt to wake up Jane or warn Jane what's going on. He does not even a little does, bit. He just fucking bolts. He, he bolts for the door. The worst. Ben Schwartz or, voice John Ralphio, the worst. What did I tell you, huh? The worst. <laughs> Yeah, and he bolts into the endless stairwell. And this is maybe the most horrifying thing to me because he keeps going downstairs. Every floor is the fourth floor. He keeps going and is not getting anywhere. And then eventually... And that's, well, that's the death floor. I did, that's a cultural reference. Yeah, I do understand. Four is like death number. Yeah, like how they, they like zoom in on the four. And I was, it's like if someone else is zooming in on 666. It was like, yeah. Oh, four, oh, oh, oh. yeah. He's also no matter how no matter how far down he runs, he's not getting any closer to being out of the building. Uh, he doesn't get further. No further. And finally, he runs into Jane, who's standing there in the hallway, and is like, "Jane, this is terrible." And Jane turns around, and she's not Jane; she's Natri. And Natri chases Which him. He should have guessed because how could how could Jane have possibly got down the stairs before him? Yeah, yeah. And so she chases him, and he runs to a window, climbs out of the window, and there is a vertical ladder on the side of this hotel. Well, I asked somebody about, I asked people about this online. I don't know if this is common in Thailand to have a metal ladder, the entire height of like a hotel or something like this. But they were mentioning that it, it might be something to do with the fact that there is a lot of flooding there. Uh, yeah. You know, people might need to climb up to the roof of, of a building like this. But uh, the idea. I figured it was a fire escape. 
It's not a fire escape like in New York, like I have right outside. It's, yeah. it's a fucking ladder. Yeah. It's a, it's a vertical metal ladder down the side of the building. He starts climbing have, down this. Like the kind solid snake might climb. Yeah. And listen, we can't forget how she chases him down the hallway on the ceiling. That shit is dope. Her climbing down the ladder head first. Like, yeah. That's a real evil Spider Man shit. And I am into it. It was very well done. It's like, mm, I, I love that. Yes, guys. Again, I'm telling you, like, this Ringu type, just like white dress, long black hair, creepy ghost girl. Like, I will fucking scared shitless every time. Yeah. They did it. Also, did it. if the idea of somebody running from ghosts eternally barefoot bothers you, man, is this movie going to bother you? Because he is, he is persistently barefoot every time he is escaping in this movie. Uh, yeah, well, he's inside, and I don't think you should well, wear shoes. I mean, in a, in a hotel, you know, he's running from having been asleep, but like... Yeah, he didn't take time climbing, to put on his bed. He's climbing this wet metal ladder. If he's not going to take time like, to wipe his ass, he's not going to take time to put on shoes. <laughs> Hopefully he did get the rain did wash his ass a little bit because it was raining buckets out there. And yeah. he's just like, I can't go downstairs because there's no down, I guess. So I guess I'm just going to go out the ladder because um, he doesn't seem to be getting anywhere on the ladder either. He is, he's climbing down. He does not seem to be getting any closer to the ground and he slips and falls off. But luckily, it seems Jun has like plus five against fall damage because... He wakes up in the hospital after having fallen off the side of this building and uh, then wakes up in a, a hospital, I guess the next morning in time to go see the cremation. And Jane this whole time is like, look, it's going to be fine. We got the funeral rites. You know, we're going to cremate the body. That'll take care of it. You know, and you're sorry, right? You're, you're sorry. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, sorry. It's like the, the pad yeah, baby. Packing creepy serial killer trophies. Of an unspeakable crime, right? God. They watch the body burn, and everything is good and grand, and they go back to the city, and we learn through exposition shortly that I guess they go to the beach and have a vacation. Everything's cool, and Tun is busy, so he sends Jane to go pick up their photos from the beach, and she goes through the photos, has another encounter with this guy who owns the photo store, who looks, <laughs> looks at a picture of her in a bathing suit and goes, wait, and has a real dramatic... You know, oh, we get the music music moment. Cue and everything. Yeah. Then he's like, and then he just body shaped hey, her. He's like, no. He says, you look fatter in this. Not Which just is... you gained weight. Just right up. You look fatter. Okay, so it did say fatter because, like, Brett was like, oh, he said taller, but you no, know, he said fatter. That's what I thought. That's what this I thought. Like, I thought we ghost, ghost body shape, and she's so Senior like relieved. That she was, that she, there was no ghost, that she just kind of shrugs off the body shaving and she's just like, uh, uh. but then apparently Tun has not checked his the negative one more time. Well, I feel like the real, like, I feel like this movie could be like, what if the real ghost was the misogyny we met along the way? I mean, that's, I mean, it is because she looks through all of these pictures of the beach and everything's great. And then she's like, oh, there's this other set of pictures. Let me check these out. And there's a point in the movie earlier where they are lying on the couch together and she says that, you know, she's going to watch out over him while he sleeps and he's laying in her lap and they've put the camera on top of the television. Uh, now there are a whole bunch of pictures from that night that the camera, I guess, took And in one of these pictures, she notices that there is like a female form lying on the ground by the photo bookcase. And as she's going through, 
they're in every one, but they're slightly different. So she decides to flip book it and, you know, goes through the thing and sees that the ghost is moving to indicate a certain shelf on the, or a certain part of the shelf. And she goes to look for it and knocks down a collection of photos, which he's just been keeping on the shelf, which are of Natri being forcibly held down and raped by his friends, which we learned he took because we get a flashback to that scene of like, these friends are holding her down and we find out that he's there and his, and Ton is like, Hey, take pictures of this in case she tries to rat us out. And then we can show off the pictures of her being raped. That's a great plan. And so he has, he is, if she accuses us, we'll just release it. Yeah. What the fuck is like, if she accuses us of something, we'll just release the proof of us doing it. I guess the, the plot is that, or the plan is that it would be too horrifying, embarrassing for these pictures to be out there. No, that, that's exactly what it is. It's just banking on that. Yeah. Outweighing like a want for justice. Yeah. Yeah. And like, she was already being bullied, you know, like she was already being abused by people. And I'm sure there was something going on with her in their relationship because like he, you know, she agreed to keeping it quiet. We've covered a lot of movies that have had two unfortunate degrees, like some level of sexual harassment or sexual assault as part of the plot line. This is... Real, I think maybe the first time we've seen a movie that it is just full on horrible, like on screen rape. Yeah, it's gratuitous. I think this it is positive is they don't sexualize it. Like they don't. Yeah. Make it a- no, it's horrifying. But this is a full on nightmarish rape scene. Yeah, so they, oh, again, yeah, just some- taking these pictures of her while she is screaming for him to help her, and like that scene, I was like. Oh. This is too much. Like, this guy is unredeemable. It is yeah. nightmarish. Yeah, this is, a. This is. it's very, I mean, I think it's a bit gratuitous. And it's in a movie about ghosts and stuff, the amount of time spent depicting the scene, you know, again, it's not sexualized. We don't get any sort of, you know, real nudity here, but it's still very violent, very upsetting. And, uh, you know, I would, I totally understand if it was a deal breaker, you know, and again, this movie did, was telegraphing that something else was going on here, that there was something even worse that Tun was was responsible for with this relationship. And, you know, I did guess, especially with the the fact that they were dating secretly, you know, early on, I was guessing, okay, this is probably going to get into assault territory. And this is like, you know, I, I, it's not quite girl with the dragon tattoo, David Fincher, like rape scene, grotesque. But in a way, it's almost worse than that because it is not necessarily there for shock value, but it's still, there's too much of it shown, I think, for it to be like it handled sensitively. Now, I was thankful for the fact that Jane had the same reaction I did to it, which is, fuck this guy. Yeah. (laughs) This is, oh yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, and he's he explains it and you see that flashback where he's looking and he's this not is, like he's taking the photo but he's not looking at her and it's like he almost he looks horrified but he's not doing anything. Yeah. And um he's not even saying anything. He's not even like guys stop. Uh, yeah. Just watching or yeah. Not watching. 
It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Jane, it's, so Jane pieces out. Yeah. And Jane is like, this is unforgivable. Goodbye. Which it is. It's like, yeah. this is, fuck, like, this is a fate worse than death that is now satisfying for us, the eyes, because this is nightmares. We are now rooting for the ghost. Yeah. Yeah. And twenty percent. Yeah, I was already rooting for the ghost, but like now it's like, like yeah. yeah. I mean, again, Tun had it coming from the moment he's like, "We hit somebody, fuck it, drive." Like he was cursed. He deserved what was coming to him. From there, after this, holy shit! Like again, like it is one of the most nightmarishly horrific scenes I've ever seen. That like that rave scene. It is very difficult to get through, but the movie paints it as like an act of supreme evil yeah. that is beyond unforgivable that deserves only the most like horrific of judgments, which is what he receives. I almost it think that Talatia what comes after it stronger. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because, Oh yeah. After Jane leaves, he, he pulls out the um, Polaroid and starts taking pictures and trying to do the same thing. She is like actively challenging Nadri to come out and face him, attack him, kill him, whatever he deserves. And is taking pictures around the apartment and can't find her. And, you know, is throwing them down. Finally throws the camera down and it takes a picture of him. And, uh, there she is in the picture. She's sitting on his shoulders. And like, you know, we see that she is literally on his shoulders, weighing him down. That's why his neck has been hurting so much. That's what the wait, 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 thought earlier of um, all of the times complaining about the neck and the yeah. eyes. Yeah. And she's, she's literally weighing on him and starts like, you know, grabbing and scratching at his eyes and he's, you know, trying to fight it off and stumbles blindly out a window and, you know, crashes down the length of the apartment complex and against the ground. And again, he has plus five against fall damage. So he survives this again. He falls out of a second building. Ed stays alive and you know we, it ends with Jane coming to see him at this psych ward where he's locked up and we see sort of in his reflection he's he's slumped over you know sitting on the bed and we can see that she is just sitting on top of him you know weighing him down you know holding him there in place Jane cries and then leaves <laughs> yeah and it's during this reveal of her on his shoulders there's this bit where he is taunting her and he's like, I thought you loved me so much. I thought you would never leave me, you know, till death do us part and all this kind of stuff, which was like terrible. You know, it's just like, come on, dude, like, fuck you in times a million. But very much spelled out his own curse. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very much like that's the thing. She's not leaving. She's just going to sit there and she's not going to let him die. Yeah. Left. She's always been sitting on you. Yeah, and that's why I think that he has been, like, he's seen this before, and that's why I think that he decides to, like, hit and run, because he's like, you know, I don't know if this is real, I don't know, but, I've, you know, we gotta go. Um, he says that the neck pain is new, that it started when they had the accident. Okay. No, he says the neck pain's been lasting a while, but it got worse with the accident. Yeah, okay. Because I also felt like when he was at the doctor's and he was complaining about the neck pain, he was trying to be as vague as possible about the accident, so no one can. There's that too. So yeah, you know, it might be, it might all be just hard to get a full picture hold of. Yeah, but like no matter if he's been seeing ghosts or not, I mean he's been carrying the weight of this guilt, and you know the denial has made it just that much worse. The 
utilization of that imagery of her being the literal weight of guilt that he's carrying that he has to carry for the rest of his life, you know, and the fact that she loved him. So he's the one who survives, I thought was pretty poetic. And, you know, because Ton, who actually committed the rape, he fucking died. He he panicked and then he like just flung himself out the window. You know, we don't know the circumstances under which the other two died, but, you know, they also did fly off the building, which was apparently how she died. She tried to overdose and then jumped. You know, I don't know if that those things are related, probably, honestly, narratively. But this is where I feel like all of the horror vocabulary doesn't feel rote because it is a symbolic language that we're seeing. It's not just creepy Sadako coming out the TV because her dad was a demon or something. Like it was because the deal with Sadako is that she was just fucked up. Like she was a demon. She was Mike Myers like evil. And then she was killed and buried in a well. Um, yeah. Because her that- mom, her dad was like a sea demon or something. Yeah. But anyway. So- <laughs> yeah. I, I, the, I think that you, as you're saying, the, the symbolism of her like sitting on his shoulder is it's poetic in a way that a lot of these films that come before and after the surround the time are not like ring basically Ringu and the american remake the ring i think are both legitimately good horror movies but there is not like any sort of real tie between the ghost and the people that's where i think the silent hill 2 connection comes from because silent hill 2 is all about connecting the ghost to the main characters hidden secret past and their hidden crimes and their psychological trauma. And I felt like that this movie very effectively did that too, where the ghost was very much a reflection of that like crime and trauma and past. Yeah. I feel like that was a very effective influence and it felt decidedly Silent Hills 2-esque. Yeah. And I also know that Silent Hill was influenced by Jacob's Ladder, which has also very symbolic visual vocabulary in terms of you You're know, talking about the ladder when he the ladder scene when she's going down the ladder. That too. Yeah. I haven't seen Jacob's Ladder, so I'm just gonna assume it's a movie about a ladder. Y- yeah, it's about a ladder. There's the ladders in the title. Yeah. Uh okay. the ladder in that hospital. So guys, do we feel like uh Shatter was feminist? I mean, it's a movie entirely about the most horrific crimes of men. Yes. I don't think it was as thoroughly feminist as it could have gotten. Yes. I think it was. That, it, the scene is so like, I know this is a horror movie and it's supposed to be saying like, I want to be upset and spooked and creeped out in like people coming out of sinks kind of way. Not in just a gang rape on school that goes unreported and they get away with it. Yeah. Without the help of supernatural justice. Yeah, I think this reminds me a lot of something that I talk to students about, which is when they're trying to talk about horror and they're trying to talk about like serious stuff and tone shock where you have some a story that is a horror story but has a lot of supernatural elements and kind of fun horror. Like those scenes where she's like peeking over the the car window or at the foot of the bed are kind of legitimately funny. They're played very serious. Oh yeah. They're played serious. Yes. But that, that I mean that's what makes them funny. 
Yeah. And, but that's the thing too, is that now, you know, the, the root of this story is a very serious, terrible thing. Now, can it be based in assault? I think that's, you know, a horror story about an assault. There's a lot of ways to do that that are better than how this movie did it. You know, again, I felt like the depiction was gratuitous, but I think that the, uh, the it was, again, a little bit of a tone shock, a little bit too much of a real trauma for it to be a supernatural, like, fun, spooky ghost movie with people climbing on, like, ladders upside down and shit, you know? So I feel like that was a little bit of a, you know, ham-handed mistake in the, I think, earnest attempt to make this a story about the, cl- the crimes of men against women. I'm reminded I gotta say, of I, the 2021 Candyman and how they made the very deliberate decision to like not show the racial violence in that movie to, you know, yes. do the puppet theater because like, you know, both Jordan Peele and Nia DaCosta were like, yeah, people have seen enough of that shit. Like, you know, real life people have seen this happen to real life people in, you know, current time. They don't need a full on depiction of this. And I think that's very much true of absolutely as well. Yeah, uh, I do have to say, I am really glad, though, we did the original Thai film and not the American, Japanese-American remake, because Joshua Jackson's character, who's in the tunnel, his name is Ben, and describing a character named Ben just being this fucking horrible, I feel like would have gotten real uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so, I think I'm so glad we could avoid that one. Sounds good. I would say this movie has been remade three times already. There's the movie City from 2007, which is an Indian remake. Shudder from 2008, which is the American one. And Click from 2010, which is a Hindi remake. So it's, it's out there. It's a popular one. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's, it is tempting to talk about this kind of poetic justice, but it does take a, a, an extreme amount of care on the writer's part. And I mean, on, on the entire storytelling crew there you know and i i i think it's important not to ignore or you know it's it's important to talk about but there are ways to talk about it in a movie about supernatural you know ooky spooky haunting without it being so in your face yes but uh you know, I, you know. I think it's it's really interesting to have jane as sort of a second main character for this because we do get to see a lot of it through her eyes and we are, she is a surrogate for the audience in a lot of ways because she is sort of figuring out why they're actually cursed. She is starts off very worried that, you know, her running over this girl has been the cause of all this, which will, which we find out that never happened. She never ran over a girl. That's just yeah. the first of yeah. her haunting situations. Um, well, Jane gives us a protagonist that we can actually root for and like yeah yeah and it does the best thing for almost any you know protagonist in a movie like this which is she walks away like she's like what an asshole this guy really is and she's like you know that's unforgivable and the fact that honestly the ghost um nature nature tells her like leads her to it yeah like hey hey girl fucking check this shit out he is not a good guy like i'm telling you like girl to girl like get out yeah like she's a she's not haunting jane no she's 
communicating to Jane. At the very least, I appreciate that the movie wasn't like, oh, the crazy ex- ghost of the ex is after the current girlfriend. I'm glad it was like hitting them against each other. Yeah, which does lead me to what I want to talk about, which is the the depiction of mental illness and disability and stuff like that, where we see that Natris has some conditions that she has to deal with with this with the uh, threat of suicide when Tun tries to break up with her. And, you know, I'm sure that there's more to that, but they don't, they never really show that as being like the crazy ex. She does look very daunting at times. Like when she's got the, she's like wiping her hand on the glass shard that, you know, she's, she's slit her wrists and stuff like that. Again, you know, also very triggering suicide imagery, but she is depicted as completely, oh God, what's the word I'm looking for? I just left my brain. Um, She's, you know, she's, relatable like Natra is, is relatable and you know innocent to, it, completely it, in the flashback uh, which is again told through you know uh, the point of view of Tun their relationship feels very much like an anime of like she is the distant girl who doesn't know how to get along with people and he just takes a liking to her despite his friends being assholes like they're you know, their whole thing is very like, oh, she's the she's the pretty girl who just can't relate to people up until the part where he is keeping their relationship a secret and is a complete asshole. And then she starts threatening him with committing suicide. Yeah. And that's like it's definitely implied that the group of guys consider her like crazy and clingy when they find out about this. And I'm sure that that was completely encouraged, if not actively, then passively encouraged by a ton who's like not defending her and pretending that she's doesn't exist when they're all together, you know? No. God. Um, oof. Oof. I, I, I mean, it's, it's impossible not to talk about this scene when we're on this section of the podcast. Yeah, and and also with when we talk about trauma and things like that, like a lot of that is pretty upfront, right? The uh, the haunting as a result of guilt. I think that that's a, a really powerful message when we talk about the ghost and the carrying around of the past. But I also think it's very telling that Jane starts to see this haunting and is gaslit. You know, like he can't hide his guilt. So Jane actually is being contacted by the ghost as if to represent him and his guilt, kind of like what he's carrying around and those cracks showing that she's starting to recognize those red flags. And there's all these times when they're talking about it and she's like, well, what happened? You know, and he talks about it and he says, he's sorry. And she's like, and that's it. And he's like, yeah, I don't know anything else. You'll never leave me. Right. You'll never leave me. Right. Right. Like he completely changes the subject that you'll never leave me no matter what, like that, that was a red flag. Oh my God. It's interesting to me now to think about the fact that like this ghost appears to her for the first time after she sees him for the first time with his group of friends. Like when he's being that go alone to get along asshole, like covering for his his friend who's already cheating on his brand new wife. You know, she's she sees that side of him for the first time. And that's when, you know, this ghost first shows up to her, at least. Yeah, I think that's really it's really interesting. I think it says a lot about the how relationships are played in this story. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the first time she's seen the version of him 
that allowed, you know, Natri to be raped by his friends because she was too needy for him. Yeah, it's it's super fucked up. Again, I I think we've talked about this on on other foreign films we've discussed. I don't think there's a lot to be said about racial or social justice that we can say in this that we don't really yeah. have the context we need, I think, to make an informed discussion there. There is certainly something to be said about class as far as like they're all living in, in Shanghai in these super nice apartments and you know Bangkok. see sorry. Yeah, Bangkok. They're living in Bangkok in these super nice apartments. And when we do see Natri's house and Natri's mom, it is sort of not a not a terrible house, but it's way deep out in the country in this, you know, little village in in the middle of nowhere. You know, I do applying, I think, uh, a, a divide in class. Yeah, I do want to mention, and this has nothing to do with progressive politics, but the, it was interesting that the mom had all of this preserved butterflies on the wall. And then we have this idea of all these, like you had all the imagery of the preserved animals and then Natri herself is preserved. And I know she was a science major and she was into biology. So maybe that's where they got the the, the specialty preservatives. But anyway, I just I wanted to mention that because I thought that was visually interesting. Anyway. I think, I mean, maybe the, the only place I can think of that we would have anything to say about LGBTQIA plus people and themes in this movie is our, our uh, sex worker in the bathroom. I don't know if that scene is meant to be played for for laughs or what. I think she definitely comes off as somebody who is pretty chill, if nothing else. Like, he busts in there and she's like, hold on, at least let me finish what I'm doing here. Yeah. <laughs> Before he then runs off. I, I don't know what else so we're, we're missed to glean from that yeah no, that's uh yeah i got nothing on that no. i'm just gonna say she was uh she was awesome yeah no yeah. curses there that she is living a blessed life we wish her nothing but the best yeah she should like haunt him her movie she's getting ready to go star in the thailand remake of pretty woman yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> I, that's my head headcanon is that well He's having this awful time in the horror movie. She's in the sex worker with the heart of gold, Richard Gere, romantic comedy. The Thai remake still stars Richard Gere. Of course. Well, guys, do we feel like, uh, do we recommend this one for people to read because we're at seeing? If, uh, mind, again, mind the... Yeah, the giant asterisk. This movie is very creepy. It's very unsettling. It's a very effectively told horror story. But wow, that scene, that one scene. In terms of craft and setup, yeah, I can see why this movie was remade so many times. The buildup, the story structure around that and all of the decisions, the the visual decisions. I Um, love the reveal of why, like, his neck has been hurting the whole time. Yeah. Like, I it, think that's such a well-executed twist. Yeah. Or explanation. Poetic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's yes with an asterisk is, the yeah. I think, the best way of putting it. Yeah, I, I think sure. giant, giant asterisk on there. It is definitely worth seeing. But if it sounds like something that will bother you, it almost certainly will. And, you know, take, take care of yourself. <laughs> if you yeah. prefer to just know from this podcast what happens plot wise and then just fast forward through that whole scene that might be the ideal viewing experience if you're watching it for free on voodoo there will certainly be several commercial breaks beforehand yes mm-hmm. oh. yeah <laughs> like like we said it's not streaming 
anywhere that we can find without commercials, but Voodoo has it free with commercials. Again, it is in 480p definition. If that bothers you, I, I was, I was trying not to be snooty about it, but I was like, even the subtitles are a little blurry at this point. I mean, it is a bummer because it is like, first of all, this is a movie that, uh, it's really it was well shot. Made. It's well shot. And it also relies on a lot of like subtle imagery, which is a big bummer for 40 P like, yeah. God. Yeah. Um, it deserves a, deserves a, at least a 1080 upgrade, if not that 4k upgrade. For real. Mm-hmm. So uh, what do we recommend if you want to see something similar? Or just what do you recommend in general? What you've been watching? Give us some goodies. I mean, you can watch Our Flag Meets Death. Yeah, I've been you watching. Should. You should watch Our Flag Meets Death. If you want something that's like a nice, you know, just to, to clean the, the old funk after those horror movies. But if you want a horror movie that has similar aesthetics, less of a plot, and just a lot of like generally creepy stuff that doesn't have anything to do with like excessively real horror. There is a uh, a live action adaptation of Uzumaki that is just all vibes. And in terms of the spookiness and the spooky imagery in this movie, that one is very similar. But it just it doesn't hit as hard, of course. Like you know, again, and also it's not super well paced. If you want something this well paced, read the comic book because the comic by Junji Ito. Five stars. Uh, ben, what do you got? I mentioned this earlier, but I'm going to go with Archive 81. It's a real spooky uh, Netflix horror show. It is very much all about kind of like uh, found footage, photography, video, and you know, similarly, what kind of spirits and otherworldly things we capture uh, through uh, film and now, I really like it. The first season is really good. Fair warning, Netflix did a Netflix and did cancel it after one season. So unfortunately, it ends with a big old cliffhanger that's never going to get resolved. It's fucked up. Hate that. Do not like it. All right. I feel like I could recommend stuff all, all day long at this point. Uh, I will say we've mentioned Ringu or The Ring a lot. If you like the style of scariness and everything that's in this movie... That is, I think, the the progenitor of this in a lot of ways. It It is both to its benefit and detriment, this without all the sexual violence, but sort of unrelated what I have been watching and enjoying this last week. I did watch something based on our, our friend Benito Serino's recommendation, which is The Night House, which is available on HBO Max right now. It is a movie about a, a woman whose husband commits suicide, and then she suddenly finds herself haunted by what seems to be his ghost, but it's much deeper and weirder than that and involves a house, which is a perfect replica of hers that is built across the lake that only exists at night and some real creepy shit uh, in this movie. Really well done. It's not a big jump scare movie. But it does have a lot of like great creepy stuff. Uh, it's in a lot of ways be far from you know what we experience in Shudder here. Uh, the main character is Rebecca Hall. Our good buddy Vondi Curtis Hall is in this, not wearing a terrible wig. I definitely recommend checking it out because it was. Uh, I, I hesitate to say a lot of fun, but it was very good. Excellent. And That's another than that, I've just been playing. I just you know finished playing uh, Horizon Forbidden West. If you have a PS5, go play that game. It's great. There's, yeah, I love, I love the designs of that game. So. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah there's uh, 
There's lots of, of gay main characters, supporting characters. There's uh, trans characters. There's all sorts of relationships and stuff in there. It's, it's well executed. It's really fun. You played the first one and liked it. I think it's everything that's good about the first one amped up to a whole nother level. And it's beautiful. All right. Uh, well, that's it for us. If you're looking for us online, you can find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter or Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com, where you can pick up all their books, including the brand new Immortals Phoenix Rising graphic novel from Great Beginnings and the Glad Award nominated Renegade Rule graphic novel. Uh, and finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and my website at jeremywhitley.com. You can check out everything I write there on my website. And of course, the podcast is on Patreon at Progressively Horrified on and our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm and on Twitter at Prague Horror Pod, uh, where we would love to hear from you. Uh, so come chat with us about this movie, what you thought of it, what you liked, what you didn't. Speaking of loving to hear from you, we would love to get reviews from you. We would love a five-star review wherever you're listening to this. That'll help new listeners to find us as well. Thank you all for joining us here. And thank you, as always, to Ben and Emily. It was a ball. Fun My pleasure. To talk about. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Always a blast indeed seeing y'all. Yeah. Uh, and until next time, everybody, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole of Six and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. If you like this episode, you can support us on Patreon. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at proghorrorpod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.